I, I thought that what I spoke of this morning was just going to be the first third or quarter of my sermon. I wanted to get farther than that, but the presence of God was here in a mighty way, even though it was a very different message. It, uh, when you start talking about self-esteem and you start talking about self-worth, uh, sometimes we, we tend to take that out of the Bible and we say, well, that's just, that's just psychological stuff. But the longer I'm alive, the more I am 100% convinced that you need, now, now salvation is first and foremost because what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world but lose his soul? So just like to tell you, you better be saved because that's what's going to matter. You think our, our life here has any length to it. Uh, eternity is going to be far longer than any length of life we have here. So I think it's important that you and I make sure we're saved first. Acts 2.38, John chapter 3 and 5, we got to make sure we're saved. But can I just remind you that the Bible is far more than just how to be baptized or who God is. If you'll read the book of Proverbs, you'll find that it tells you that if you want to make it in life and you want to you know, put food on the table, it's best that you work for it. You know, it's got just some good, uh, uh, solid teaching. But as we understood this morning, even our self-worth and our self-esteem is found within the pages of the Bible. And I, I cannot, nor, nor do I have time Go back and rehash that. And I am encouraging you. I don't, I don't toot my own horn too often, but I, I want you, if you were a Sunday school teacher downstairs or a jam staff member downstairs, or if you just were not able to be here this morning, you owe it to yourself. And it's not because of what I said, but it's because of the way God ministered. You need to go hear that sermon. You need to go watch that sermon. It's on our, our, our Lighthouse app. It's on our website. You can go find it. Brother uh, uh, Tom Harding does all that, and he's got an incredible little event where you can see all of the series that we're doing, this God's Greatest Gift to the Church series. But this morning we preached that God's greatest gift are one of God's greatest gifts. We started with Emmanuel, God with us. That's the greatest gift God has ever given, the gift of himself. But the second gift that I wanted to unwrap uh, and was, was God's gift is you. God gave the church you. Well, this morning I couldn't get into the church part. I, was, I, got, I got not stuck. I don't mean that in a bad way, but I got fixated on on. That, that simply you just need to understand God designed you, God created you, God knows everything about you. But tonight, if you'll let me give you part two. I'm starting on page 10 of my notes, so there you go. Uh, and you know what's bad about that is I had 16, 17, 18 pages, but then I had a whole afternoon, and so now I've added some to it, so we'll see what goes on. Somebody said there's four bones in every organization. There's the wishbone. Those are the ones that wish somebody else would do the work. There's the jaw bones. That's the one that do a lot of talking but never do anything else. There's the knuckle bones. Those are the ones that like to knock everything and kind of, you know, run it all down. And then there's the backbones. The backbones are the ones that carry the brunt of the load and does most of the work. And I'm sure it doesn't matter if it's church, your business, your, your, your corporation, your school. You can do a school project and realize those four things are present even when you do a school project. But I, I want to focus to you on, on, on God's plan for the church. And in the proper sense of the word, the Greek word would be ecclesia. It represents the vast, called, chosen elect of God. 
You and I, I hope you understand that the church of God is far greater than the 140 plus people that will gather here at any given Sunday at the Lighthouse United Pentecostal Church on 835 West Terry Lane. This is not the church of God. We're a part of the church of God. We're a part of the ecclesia. We're part of the called out. But they're represented all across St. Louis, Missouri, the United States, in North America, South America, even to the uttermost parts of the world. If I could use some biblical language, the church is far greater than a building. And so I think it is proper to understand that the church is a global church. It's a church that, that consists of each person that has received the Holy Ghost, been baptized in Jesus' name, and striving to use uh, their gifts for the church. But I, I, in, in doing that, sometimes we can miss the forest for the trees. So with your help, let me pull the church down into a more manageable slice, this church this church and God's greatest gift to this church second only to his spirit is you is you your personality your foibles your your little eccentric things that you only you do it's 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 a gift to this church if I could pull a uh, a verse a little bit out of context, but I think it fits. Talking of God's spirit, the Bible says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. But if I could flip that just a minute, I'd like to tell you that God has his treasure in earthen vessels. It's God that looks down, and out of all of creation, out of all the things that God could have done, he's created angels, and, and while I don't have a great, understanding of exactly what an angel is. I've said it before, if an angel showed up in the middle of my house at night unannounced, there might be a few bullet holes in my wall. I better know for sure it's a holy encounter because if I have any doubt, there's going to be a holy encounter. But, but my goodness, look at some of the descriptions of angelic beings in the Bible. They're incredible. One description says with, that they have six wings, two cover their face, two they fly, and two cover their feet. They, they, they're beautiful uh, creatures, and they, they sing around the throne, holy, 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 and God could have chosen them to be the church, but he did not. There are some incredible animals in the world, some beautiful animals in the world, and God could have, in fact, uh, science is kind of telling us that some of these animals are smarter than us, and I've met us, and I kind of don't doubt it. But God didn't, didn't choose them. He chose you. So I want you to first, you gotta, gotta go back and listen to the message and understand how much God loves you, how much God chose and designed and fabricated you and your life. And I'm glad that you're here. And uh, I'm gonna get into it here in a moment. Uh, I, I, this morning I, I pulled from... Uh, uh, some study and some lessons by a pastor of the Mosaic Church by the name of Jeff Seaman. And then tonight, or, or then also this morning, I, he, I realized he was pulling from Rick Warren and The Shape of You. Again, not the song, but the book that he wrote. And uh, so I want to do that. And I am also thankful that, that the uh, Richardsons are here. 
And uh, I know uh, Roche and Jared are glad their parents are home. They're missionaries to Madagascar, and they are on furlough, so they're going to be in the United States for almost a year or so. So I'm sure we'll see a lot of them as they uh, bounce back and forth through some of their travels, and we'll have a minister here. But I wanted to give them a break. I know they uh, probably are just trying to acclimate back to this time zone. Uh, what is it? So it's summer there, correct? So it's summer in Madagascar. It's winter here in their winters in Madagascar get like to the 50s or the 60s, so this 16-degree weather is a little climate shock. But we're glad you're here. Thank you so much for being a part of this. Um, so I want to I take, I want to just talk to you a little bit about, it blows my mind that God chose uh, people to carry the gospel. God comes down, he becomes man, the incarnation, nativity, he becomes man. He, he, his, his sole purpose for becoming man was so that he could have flesh and blood because a spirit doesn't have flesh and blood. He wanted to have flesh. He wanted to have blood. He wanted to be able to die that perfect sinless sacrifice so that he could once and for all satisfy the law. The law required an innocent lamb to be shed, an innocent blood to be shed. And so for, for millennial, millennium, there were, there were innocent animals that, that died in order to cover and to push back the consequence of man's sin. But God himself became man, robed himself in flesh. That's one way they say it, and it's more than that, more than a costume. He became like you and I, tempted in all points like you and I, yet without sin, and he died died on the cross and we're thankful for that Easter we celebrate that and, and we realize that that perfect sacrifice and that death, that burial and that resurrection allows you and I to have this new life that we have but if you kind of back up before the cross before Golgotha's hill, before Calvary he, he pulled together a ragtag group of people he called the disciples there were 12 disciples that, we, that they named. There was a myriad of women that, that were around and other men that were around, those that were connected and, 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 and uh, they, they taught God. They were used by God. Some of them got to see incredible things. Peter walked on water. Other things began to happen. And he's telling them for three and a half years, I'm going away. There's going to be a day that I'm not here. They didn't catch it right away, but what he was saying was, when I leave, I fully expect the work that I started here on earth to continue. A church. A church. I had it in my notes, but somewhere along the lines of printing out my extra notes and getting here, I threw the wrong set away. So uh, I've got this morning, part of this morning's notes and part of what I worked on tonight, so I don't know where we're going to get to. But, um, but I find it interesting just to kind of show you how real the church is. Can you imagine... Uh, someone saying let's make up a new religion let's just totally make a sham religion just let's have fun let's make up rules let's make up regulations let's make up worship and, and, and we'll just convince the whole world to follow this new religion it's not really true it's not based on anything but just hang with me now there's going to come a day uh, you know, after our leader dies, there's going to come a day that they're going to uh, boil you in oil and they're going to saw you in half and they're going to use your skin as lampshades like Nero did and they're going to throw you to the lions. But I want you to just keep believing that lie, okay? And just never waver in the face of persecution. Not a chance that would have happened if this wasn't real. You're not going to throw Stephen before a bunch of stones being thrown at his face and Stephen stand there with a smile on his face in, Act, in the book of Acts and look up and say, I'm ready to come home. You don't have that unless there's something real behind it. 
And God implanted in man that the church is not going to be made up of wood. The church is not going to be the building. And I'm thankful for our building. Please don't get me wrong. I'm thankful for our building. But the building is not the church. You are the church. It's not the carpet. It's not, I'm glad. Uh, uh, I, I talked to a pastor today. He called me right before church started and he needed Brother Ron's phone number because they didn't have any heat in their church this morning. Something had happened. I'm glad I walked in and there was heat. I'm thankful for lights and sound and all of that, but that's not the church. You can have a church on the side of a street corner somewhere. You can have church in the middle of an Amazon jungle. You can have church in your home. You can have church driving down the car because you are the church of the living God and the greatest gift that God has ever given to the church is you. I was blessed a few weeks ago to sit into a lesson taught by Sister Thetis Tinney, just an incredible uh, uh, pillar of the faith and she's mightily used in prayer and, and, and uh, just an incredible lady and elder. And she imparted this, and I was writing it down just as fast as she was, she was speaking. She was talking about using your, your giftings in prayer. It was a prayer seminar, using your giftings in prayer. But she made this statement and just kind of caught it. And again, those of you that are here this morning, I think you'll see the correlation. Your giftings and your callings help make up your personalities, if you will. And when you're saved, I know it talks about a new creature in Christ Jesus, but that new creature is, not, is really just the new nature. You don't like to sin anymore. You like to live for God. That's what's new. But God doesn't change your personality, and God doesn't change your, the, the way you are. If you were a gregarious person and loved to talk and a social butterfly, when you get saved, guess what? You're still that. And, and if you were a, 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 a very detailed-oriented person when you're saved, you're very detail-oriented. And so you're, she said, and this is not my message, but just so you can get it, for example, your prayer life should mirror your natural personality. I forget who I was talking to uh, this morning, but... Um, and, and it'll come to me in a minute. I think it's Brother Harding maybe, but you know, I made this comment that, that I don't have long conversations with anybody if I don't have to, okay? Now, there are moments in life as a pastor, I've got to have a deep one-hour, two-hour conversation go through it, but my natural inclination is to talk to you for a little bit, then I'm going to come over here and I'm going to talk to you a little bit. I don't talk. Now, when I was dating Sister Buford, she's homesick with Zeke, but when I was dating Sister Buford, I could talk on the phone for like four hours. Then all of a sudden, something happened. We got married, and that four hours was gone, if it's the last couple of weeks, I'm thankful I get just like one minute to talk to her by her, you know, just one-on-one. -on -one. We got so much going on this December. But, but I just naturally don't take long conversations with just about anybody. So when I pray, you're not going to find me praying for five hours straight. It's not my personality. And my prayer life, my, my calling, my gifts mirror who I am naturally. Some of you, you like that one-on-one -on -one conversation. You want to talk to somebody, you want to look them in the eyeballs, and you don't want them to move while you talk for about four hours. Well, guess what? When you pray, if you only talk to God for five minutes, you're missing out on it. Why don't you talk to God the way you naturally talk to others? If you were an outgoing person and never met a stranger, a perfect place in the church is in our hosting and greeting ministry. But if you were a bah humbug and never liked to smile and you would prefer to work behind the scenes, please don't be a greeter. Because God uses our natural 
inclinations. Your personality is a gift. And I realize sometimes we look at each other and we go, man, that personality, are you sure it's a gift? It's absolutely a gift. And Sister Tinny made this illustration and it jumped out at me. She said, what if I was walking in and I had a cake that, that, that I had bought and it was for a special occasion, maybe somebody's birthday, maybe we're going to celebrate Sister Christine's taco night here in a moment, and I have a cake, and as I walk in, I trip and I fall and the cake goes everywhere. There'd be one person that would come up and would say, can I help you up? They would help me up or they would, they would make sure I'm not hurt. Another person would say, let me get a broom and let me get something. Let me get a rag. Let me begin to clean up the cake. And there'd be another person that says, you know what? I'll go buy a new cake. And all of those are needed. If all the church is is those that want to help me up, we could help up, but we'd never have any cake. And that's a travesty. If they leave me on the ground writhing in pain, but they're more worried about the cake, that makes me sad. And some of you are like that. And if all you do is go buy cake and you never clean up the... You see what I'm saying? The church doesn't need to be a church of clones. The church doesn't need to be a church where everybody's alike. The church exists because God created you and he created you for a purpose and then he put you in the church. I, I preached this morning about a little bit about temperament and personality, and I'm I'm not I, I had it in my notes, and I just want to hit it one more time. My dad was talking to me about it as we I was working on some of this, and then uh, uh, Pastor Jeff and, and Rick Warren began to pull it into their message, and so begin to realize there's some powerful things to this, and that is, you're, you, in your life you have two things: you have your temperament. And you have your personalities. Your temperament is kind of who you are. You're born that way. It's, it's your nature. It's, it's whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. It's, it's your temperament. But your personalities and your character, those are developed through your life as you live. Your temperaments do not change, but your personalities or even your character could. And so uh, uh, in my life, I've realized that while my temperament is basically the same, my personality has changed. When you are in ministry and when you've pastored, it's things change. And, and uh, uh, I, I have a little different personality now at 39 than I did at 18. But I'm still the same. And God uses those things. And in a church, God needs all temperaments and God needs all personalities. I am so thankful I have my wife, and she's not here, but I need somebody to start texting her right now. I'm going to give you permission to text her and tell her pastor is speaking good things about her because Christmas is coming, and I want to make sure I get a good gift. So just flood her inbox. She's at home with Zeke. She, he's sick. Just flood her, flood her text saying, man, pastor's really talking good about you. It'd be good. But you know what? I, when I first became pastor, and some of you have been here this whole journey for the last 10 years of that, that I've been pastoring. And uh, I had gone through some things in, 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 our, in, the, in the years before, and my personality had kind of taken a pretty drastic change just from life and circumstances. And I didn't know this, but and I think maybe I'm still guilty of it a little bit, but I hope I'm better. But Brother Miller, they tell me that when I first started pastoring, I would talk to you, and then I would just in mid-sentence walk away. Because I, I didn't not that I didn't want to talk to you anymore, but my brain just clicked off. And I was so glad I had a wife that followed basically everywhere I went and all she did was apologize for her husband. Brother Miller, he didn't really mean that. He does love you. 
But you know what? If the church was only made up of people like me, church wouldn't be near as effective as it is when it's made up of people like my wife, like me, and like you. This is not a church, like I said earlier, it's not a church of clones, but it's a church. And let me pull from some biblical terms. The Bible says the church is built on, on, you know, on one stone upon another, and it uses the frame lively stones or living stones. We make up the church. And of all the things that God could have used, he chose to use people, people with unique Issues and personalities like Peter and Paul and James and John and Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Jesus and Apollos and, and, and all of these he uses. So I want to bring it into uh, the word of God. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 4. Now at some point, maybe even this Wednesday, if God will will direct me I do want to spend some time in this series preaching about the gifts of the spirit I believe that when you if you're going to talk about the things of 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 God and the gifts of God one of those is he gave the church some great gifts and they're used for the edification of the church so we may mention some of these tonight but a little later on maybe Wednesday night we'll explain them better but first Corinthians Paul says starting in verse 4 now there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit. There's varieties of service, but the same Lord. There's varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all to everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. I want you to listen to me very carefully. If you have been chosen and saved and sanctified by the Lord Jesus Christ, then he has given you a gift. That's what the word God just said. Each one is given a measure, a gift. What that means is there should never be anyone filled with the Spirit of God that's not doing something for the kingdom of God. Because if you have been filled with His Spirit and you're sitting on a pew doing absolutely nothing, the church is hurting. I believe this with everything within me. The church does not need to exist on just a few or just, you know, 20 or 30 or 40 percent of the people doing something. But no, the church needs you all. There's a variety of gifts that need to be operating in the service. There's a variety of service that needs to happen. On Sunday morning, that's one of the best times you can see that variety of service. For an hour and a half on Sunday mornings, we've got people singing, We've got people playing, we've got people preaching, we've got people speaking, we've got people taking the offering, we've got people running the sound, the computers, the multimedia, we've got a video uh, operator, we've got those that greet and host out there, we've got Sunday school teachers downstairs and nursery workers and youth staff all going on. And if just one of them is missing, the church hurts. To each Verse 7 is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, but all are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And so God is looking at you 
And he's saying, what can I give to you? What gift can I empower you with that you in turn will help the church? Verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all are the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. If for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we're all made to drink of the one spirit, for the body doesn't consist of one member, but of many. Now, Paul uses this this word picture, and I'm going to act it out here in a moment. I want to make sure you catch it. But what if the foot should say, because I'm not the hand, I don't belong to the body? Would it make it any less a part of the body? Or if the ear should say, because I'm not the eye, I don't belong to the body, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body was an eye, it would be weird, but what would the sense of hearing? If the whole body was an ear, it would be kind of ugly. Where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one as he chose. What if the foot said, you know, it's not fair. You think I'm ugly and so you always put socks on and you put shoes on and you never let me run free and breathe. At least that's what I say to my feet. You know, you clap your hands and you can play instruments and you can play the piano and those fingers get all the accolades and all the work and I'm kind of tired. You don't like me and, and so I don't even want to be a part of the body. Well, the foot doesn't have the choice of spontaneously amputating itself from my body. It's stuck. And so what is the point? What is the purpose of you looking at anybody else in the church and say, well, I can't be like them, so I guess I'm not part of the body. When God said, I don't want you to be like them, I created you with your own unique abilities and your own unique talents and your own unique circles where you can reach, and maybe I called you to be a foot, but there's no other way to get to where you're going unless you're a foot. Some say, well, man, wouldn't it be awesome if we could just all be on the platform? Well, that would be as dumb as if we were just a great big eye walking around this earth. If everybody was on the platform, who'd be in the pew? I went to a church, and, and, and I've talked about it. I went to a church when they had, they had a choir. Anybody could come sing in the choir, and about the whole church would get up, and they'd come sing the choir. They'd pick up the old songbook, and they'd sing, and you'd look back, and there'd be like five people in the audience. God doesn't want us to be all the same. And, and there's not one part of the body that's greater than the other. Verse 19, if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need to you. I better never hear, and I don't think I ever have, but I better never hear someone look at somebody else and say, I'm better than you because I get to sing up here or I get to teach a Sunday school class. And I'm going to tell you why that's so important never to say that. But, but the body can't say, well, well, since you're not the eye, you can just leave. In fact, the Bible goes on to make this statement, and it's a statement that's, that's uh, uh, used other places. It says, on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. 
and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require but God has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacketh it that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care one for another. Some may say, well, man, pastor, he gets all the accolades. He gets all the, the, you know, everybody looks at the pastor. It's his church. You know, he's up there behind the pulpit, and and he's always preaching, and and he's so great. And look at little old me. What am I going to do? But can I tell you that in in a normal service of about an hour and a half, that first 45 minutes to an hour, you're making a great difference on those who walk in this building long before the pastor ever opens his mouth. In fact, I'd like to tell you that you might not think it's that important. But uh, uh, for service, Lydia was talking, wherever Lydia is, where you at? There you are. Hi, Lydia. Lydia said, I want to be, I want to, she was talking to Brother Tom and some others. She said, I want to be, I want to, I feel like I want to be a part of the greeter team, the hostess team. Can I tell you that that handshake you give to someone when they walk in the door? Made me more to them that moment, that day, than the sermon I'm about to preach? Oh, don't get me wrong. They need to keep coming and I'm going to keep preaching. And at one point, the sermon that I preach is going to hit the heart that's ready and there's going to be a moment, a spirit of conversion that takes place. But I'm trying to tell you, it may look like you're not doing much, but God says I've got a greater honor for those that seem like my, my life, it's not as great, but the church needs every part of the body. Every personality, every, every, every uh, temperament it needs. There can't be any division of the body. But that the members may have the same care one for another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And you're the body of Christ. And then it uses this phrase, and individually members of it. Now all this keeps talking over and over about the unity. It talks about, you know, the body is one. But then it specifies individually you're members of the body. I'm so glad I got 10 fingers. Aren't you? If you don't, never had it, you need to injure one of your fingers and, you know, get to where it doesn't work. Put a big bandage on it to where you can't grasp it. Realize how hard it is to do the things you do. I mean, you ever tried to text and you don't have your thumb available? Life is over at that moment. Man, I'm still, still dealing with it right now, but Wednesday night... I don't feel I couldn't preach my way out of a wet paper bag. I had a canker sore the size of a quarter in the in the in the corner of my mouth. Have no idea where it came from. Hurt so bad to preach, but I was up here preaching. But I'm gonna tell you, I know it wasn't life threatening, but at that moment it felt like my whole head was about to fall off. And at that point, that little bitty canker sore, my big toe said, you know what, that canker sore hurts. My other big toe said, you're exactly right, it hurts. Because when one part of the body hurts, the whole body suffers. And if you suffer, you suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. I mean, every once in a while, something in our church goes and, and, and something is good and it happens and... 
and, and, and I might go to general conference or I might go somewhere and someone say, man, Pastor Brandon, your church is moving, your church is growing, your church is hopping, and I might get the honor at that moment, but you need to understand it wasn't me that did any of that. I instantly look back and I tell them, I, you ought to see my church. You ought to see the people that are in there. I love the fact that our Sunday school is just rocking and rolling and, and, and I don't even have to do anything of it. I could. I do a lot of children's ministry. I can go teach Sunday school, but I'm glad I don't have to. I was a youth pastor. I could, I could be a youth pastor again. I could teach young people, but I don't, I don't need to at this moment. I've got musical talents and abilities. I can sing, play some instruments. I could do that. But the part of the body is I need you. God appointed in the church first apostles and prophets and teachers and miracles and gifts of healings and helpings and administrating various kinds of tongues. And then it says, but are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles? No, the answer is. Because God uses individuals. We'll, we'll get in that a little bit later. God uses individuals. And what I want you to take out of this message, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to hasten and, and wrap it up. What I want you to take out of this message is that God doesn't just jump over you, jump on your life, and, and just give you some supernatural calling, and all of a sudden you become something you've never been. If you have never played the piano in your life, God is not going to just jump all over you and give you the ability to play the piano, and you're going to go up there and be a music director somewhere in a church. It's just not going to happen. Because God, that's not how God operates. God takes the natural talents that he gave you. That's this morning's sermon. God takes the natural talents and abilities that he gave you, and then he says, would you use them for the kingdom of God? Even in some of the, the spiritual gifts, like the discerning of spirits or, or the, the word of knowledge, and, and there is a great spiritual truth to that, and we'll get into all that here, hopefully Wednesday. But can I just tell you, I've met a lot of people that don't go to church and haven't got a spiritual bone in their body, but they're very perceptive as to what happens. You ever met someone like that? They just can read somebody instantly, know if they're lying, know if they're not lying. God says, I want to take someone that, that's perceptive and I might give you an ability to use that for the kingdom of God. I never had a problem talking. Never, ever have I ever had a problem talking. Never, ever, ever. I could, I could go to speech class in high school. That's one of my favorite classes because I literally got an A to talk. It was awesome. My first sermon I ever preached... I was 15 years old. First sermon I ever preached. 45 minutes long. What's wrong, Brother Shane? It's gotten a little bit better usually. But God has allowed me to use some of my natural giftings. And God says, let me take what, what you have naturally and let me put the Spirit of God behind it and let's see what you can use for the kingdom. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 says this, and I'm going to break this down. I want you to see what it is. I want you, th this, is, this is how you take you and use it for the kingdom. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. There's two phrases that you see there. One is the walk. The other is the calling. And those need to be balanced 
You could have a calling of God on your life, but you don't walk worthy in a manner of it. And you'll never, ever be able to experience the call that God has for you. He's given it to you, but you'll never walk in it because you never learn to balance the walk of your life with the calling of your life. But neither, but, but, but it'd also be, there's those that have a walk with God, but they never do anything with it. They just kind of live right, love God, but they never realize that God's calling them to something greater. There is a, a, a balance of your calling and of your conduct, and it starts with your attitude. For it says, walk worthy to the calling which you've been called, and with all humility. In some of my study, I found that in the Greek culture, humility was thought to be a vice. That humility should have only been practiced by slaves. That everybody else should never be humble and they should be just gregarious and and prideful and and look at me and everybody look at me. But Paul states that the saints should be humble in their daily walks. It's the exact opposite of pride. Somewhere in today's sermons, services, I don't remember who said, I think it was Sister Lee, she made mention of, of kind of this verse that he must increase and I must decrease. It's Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, to not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. I can't puff myself up and say, because I'm pastor, look at me. Because it matters my attitude. The virtue of, of humility is listed first because Paul, he, he had a huge emphasis on unity because if a person is prideful, pride promotes disunity. But humility promotes unity. And if the hand gets all high and lifted up and says, look at me, and the hand tries to do the feet's work, just, it's kind of like, I don't know, any, maybe you use a sports metaphor. You ever played, uh, and I've played volleyball with some of you, and so I'm going to preach to you for a moment. You ever played volleyball with someone, and they literally play every position? It's like, serious, give me a chance. You were in that corner. I'm in this back corner. Stay away. Let me hit the ball once in my life. But you know why they do that? Usually because they think they're better than everybody else and they think that the only way they can win is if they're the ones that hit the ball. And in the church, we can't have that. We call them, I called them in high school ball hogs. I don't know what y'all call them now, but I called them ball hogs. In the church, there is no room for, for anyone to say the church exists because of what I do. No, it don't. Because as much as God needs you and as much as God wants you, he can replace you very easily. If you don't believe that, look at some of the lives that, that like, like Judas, he, he got lifted up, prideful, arrogant, thought he could do it his own way, and he ended up dying in a potter's field, and there was another disciple ready to take his place. God says, you know what, I want to use you. I, I desire you, but I'm not going to let you be the main thing. So it is that Jesus himself shows us that supreme example in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6, says, who thought, who though he was in the form who, who though he was in the form of God did not count equally with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of the servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death even death on the cross 
And so if God himself shows you and I how to walk in the body of Christ and be a servant, we ought to. And then it says, with gentleness. A believer is to be gentle, to be meek. It's the opposite of self-assertion. It's the opposite of rudeness and harshness. Yeah, the way to understand it is, is it's having one's emotions under control. But it does not mean weakness. Meekness doesn't mean weakness. It's the difference between someone who is angry all the time. and then the, on, So that's one side of the equation. Someone who's angry all the time. The other side of the equation is someone who's never angry. Neither one of those are good. Because the Bible says there's a moment where you have to be angry and sin not. Moses was a meek person, but but when 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 he he got angry when Israel sinned against God, Christ was meek. He 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 was, you know, he was quiet, but he got angry when the Jews used the temple as a place to fleece people and you know rob them, if you will, out of their hard-earned money. So a believer learns to use those emotions for the good of the church there's a time when you get hot and angry a little bit when some, something's going wrong and, and, and it's kind of like the Phineas in the Old Testament that grabbed a spear and stopped the plague because he saw what was happening and then he says with patience believers exhibit patience it's the spirit that never gives up it endures to the end it's even self restraint that doesn't hastily retaliate a wrong part of the fruits of the Spirit. Joy, love, peace, patience, kindness. It's Colossians 1.11, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the endurance and patience with joy. Bearing one another in love as 2 Timothy says. If you're going to be in the body of Christ, you got to learn those things. you got to learn patience. you got to learn gentleness. you got to learn those humility. Because all of those attributes bring unity together. And he says that you're going to carry those bearing one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Because there's one body, the church of the living God. There's one Spirit, the Spirit of God that dwells within us, the church. There's one hope that we have, that common hope of heaven. There's one Lord, Jesus Christ, the head of the church. There's one faith, one common faith, the Word of God and the salvation afforded by His Word. There's one baptism. Jesus said that we're baptized of the water and of the Spirit. John the Baptist said, I'm going to baptize you by fire, and one's coming after that will baptize you with, or I'll baptize you with water, but one is coming after who will baptize you with fire. And Peter said, you'll be baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the indwelling of the Spirit. Even though it may mention two, that's really one baptism, that baptism of salvation. One God and Father of all. Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord who is over all, through all, and in you all. And verse 7 says this, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Because God looked at you and He saw fit to give you a gift. And in return He asks just one thing, Will you use it for the kingdom of God? 
Will you use you? Nobody else, you. The church is built on a foundation of Jesus Christ. But everything else past that foundation is you and I. He says if the church is going to grow, it's going to be because somebody goes out and tells somebody about Jesus. If it's going to be a good service, it's going to be because somebody was praying, somebody was leading, somebody was singing, somebody was ushering, somebody was greeting, somebody was worshiping, somebody was reaching out, somebody was making sure all the buttons were pushed in the right order on the soundboard. What are you going to do for the church of the living God? Because the gift that God gave to the church is you. Is you. And because of that, you need to realize how important you are to the church. This morning I made this this statement, and I'm going to invite you all to stand right now. This morning I made a statement, and I stand by it, and I believe it. That if you cannot be, you know, if you can, if you can not come to church and 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 just kind of slip off into the sunset and the church not be hurt for you. You've missed the point. Can you imagine what would happen? You get ready for Sunday. Brother Justin, he's leading. He gets done. They sing the songs. They take the offering. And he looks over there and there's an empty chair. Pastor is nowhere to be found. And it wasn't because he had to go somewhere, maybe preach out and he had told someone, but he looks and there's no pastor, no preaching. Can you imagine how awkward that service would be? Service gets ready to start at 10 a.m. and Sister Cindy, the piano player, she's not there. We all get up and we're all ready and we're all kind of waiting and we keep looking at the door expecting her to walk out and she doesn't. Can you imagine chaos that would cause? Some may say, oh, if Sister Cindy's not here, it's okay. Sister Buford can jump in. Sister Audrey, Sister Morgan can jump in. Sister, Sister uh, 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 Charlotte, they, they can jump in. We've got other piano players. And while I want all of them to be used, that's not the way I look at the church. I don't look at it. If you're not here, we'll just find someone else to take your place. Instead, I look out and I say, you know what? So-and-so's not here. The church is missing a vital part. And all too often we blame the church and we blame the pastor and we blame the leadership. When in reality, you ought to look deep within yourself. And you should ask this of yourself. What am I doing? Again, let me step away from the pulpit. I'm not pastor right now. I'm just Brandon Buford. What am I doing for the church of God? What am I doing for the kingdom? What gifts did God give me? What personality traits do I have that I can in turn use for the kingdom? What can I do? Because God needs you. And he knew he needed you. That's why he created you. He said, you know what? There's going to be a day I'm going to need someone to greet. I'm going to need someone to play the piano. So some of you, there's some children here that are starting to take piano lessons. What you don't realize is God is allowing your natural abilities to grow and your hunger and your, and one day you're going to take the place of Sister Cindy. Sister Cindy come rolling in in a wheelchair, you know, and Sister Buford to have her walker and Pastor to have his cane. And 
But it, it didn't just happen. It started as a child. Beginning to let God move on them and build them and grow them until finally they could slip in. Because God designed you for a purpose. I want you to lift your hands and I want you to just begin to let the Lord speak to you. You, nobody else. You, in Jesus' name. Would you talk to